This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. Have you seen that they've brought the breakfast wrap back? Oh, have they? Yeah, they have. I can't wait to get my hands on one. I don't doubt it, mate. I'm looking forward to trying their cheesy bacon flatbread. Oh, you saw. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Join us today as we discuss defeat on the South Coast, a trip to Kent in the FA Cup, and nothing else happened between Christmas and New Year, did it? Welcome to Borough Pods. So welcome in to another episode of Borough Pods. You'll recognise that I am not Nate Oro. That's because Nate took a lovely trip to the Isle of Wight after visiting Portsmouth and uh, Storm Henk said, do you want to get back for a podcast, mate? I don't think we're going to be having that. So uh, I'm promoted to the presenter's chair today and with me to help me cover all things Borough tonight is Mr. Greg Kett. How are you this evening, sir? Yeah, I'm good, Pat. Can't really uh, complain too much. Glad to hear it, glad to hear it. Yeah, we both battened down the hatches last weekend and uh, followed Borough from afar and we'll uh, talk it through in due course. But I guess we should start with the nothing else that was hinted at in the introduction and that was Stevenage versus Cambridge, which uh, still being advertised on the fixture boards as I drove past the club (laughs) on the way home this evening, which was just kind of salt in the wounds for the whole experience, to be honest. Um, Probably 6,000 plus people turned up for that game and... I rocked up about ten past quarter past seven, got to the back of the queue to go in the gates behind the East Terrace just as the floodlights flicked off and all the rest of the power flicked off and then bits of it came back on and you felt the worst quite quickly as uh, we stood in the dark in a car park for 20, 30, 40 minutes. No real word from anyone. One guy came out at one point with a loud hailer and... uh, tried to say something, but we couldn't hear him from how far back in the queue we were. So spent about an hour in a car park queuing to get into the ground. And then from the booze inside the ground, we could tell that it'd been announced that the game was off, despite the fact that like four of the floodlights came on at one point and got all our hopes up about 15 minutes before we got told to go home. It was uh, a weird experience that evening. Were you? Did you get in the ground? Or were you queuing outside or what? No, we got in. It was... Um... We got down there quite early. Just you, kn- you knew there was going to be a big crowd. We had to park up, so we thought we'll get down there early, get a bit of dinner, and then and head over to the ground a little bit earlier than we normally would. So we got in probably about five ten minutes before the before the floodlights went out, and they actually went out when we were um, in the kind of little concourse area in the in the north terrace. So we we were there getting a drink and didn't have a clue that the lights had gone. Inside was fine um, and walked out to what was more or less pitch darkness. So strange situation. It's something that um, we've had late abandonments in the past for weather reasons. And I was, you know, I think we've been relatively lucky as uh, in, in, in those years where we haven't been in situations at five to three on a Saturday where a game's been called off because of a yeah. log pitch or anything like that. So this, uh, this is maybe one that we're owed a little bit, but yeah, it was uh, it was a very strange situation. It felt a bit. I think the strangest part for me was there just didn't seem to be much of a protocol around it um, yeah. when it comes to even on the EFL side of things. It was phone calls to the EFL. Okay, we're going to hold on till this time. Um, you'd think there'd be like much more rules set in place. Maybe there was, and they're just not communicated as well. But it was yeah, a bit of, bit all over the place. Um, I don't think we'll go into too much detail on causes and whatnot, but. It's it just had to be the the one game that was probably going to be the biggest EFL crowd or biggest crowd we've had in in God knows how many years um, had to be that one game, 
but it's yeah, it is what it is. Hopefully, we yeah, can, if only it could have been uh, the Pizza be... Cup, it would have been less of a faff, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's... it was. It was just, it just had to be that game, didn't it? It just had to be. It would it, any other game that year or this year, sorry, would have been not as big a deal, probably. But it had to be the one game where there were handful tickets left available to go on sale, uh, or pretty much a sellout probably by the time we got to the the lights going out. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I, I, I think the protocol thing you raise is a good point because, like, you think that obviously the turnstiles, when the power goes off, the turnstiles lock and can't let people through. And you'd think you'd have a protocol in place to deal with that scenario as a club, having chosen to install those turnstiles in the first place. And either they didn't think what that failure mode could be and so didn't think how they'd handle it, we're trying to make it up on the fly, which seems the most likely to me, or they decided that the best course of action in that scenario was to just leave everyone queuing in a car park for an hour, which seems wholly not the best way forward. I'd like to have seen them open up the other gates that are available and have people with eyes checking tickets and letting people in to alleviate the frustration that happened in the bit of the queue that I was in that led to the uh, temporary fencing getting thrown over at one point for people to try and get in the back gate by the uh, East Terrace Burger Bar, which I'm not condoning that. But, you know, drunk people needed a piss and that's what happens if you bottle them up and don't communicate with them properly and don't address the issue at hand at all for a good chunk of time. So it's a powder keg they could have diffused with either more proactive action on the day or better thinking about it beforehand. I think you've got to realise as a club that, you know, you're organising events for multiple thousands of people at this point. It's not like a few hundred on a Tuesday night anymore. You've got to up your game in terms of event planning and we're, we're clearly a step behind in that on the basis of the Friday night. Yeah, it was a bit, probably the biggest frustration for me and, and being inside the ground um, was a lot different to those who were outside. It was probably even more frustrating for them because we were getting some level of communication. Um, whereas I think outside the ground, you probably couldn't even hear some of the announcements that were being that were being made. And, and they were a bit few and far between, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot that you can, you can really update if nothing's happening. But the uh, biggest frustration for me was when we, when we went to leave. Um, they decided, obviously, that they were going to let the away fans out first. Um, and they basically locked the, the home fans who were inside the ground inside, um, which to me just seemed bit crazy um mm. but having what would have been probably i know six seven hundred cambridge fans who were inside at that point walking out into uh into a street full of a mixture of fans is just i don't know it didn't seem like the wisest idea to me i don't I, but again at the same time you think there'd be a protocol maybe that's maybe that's what the protocol was and that's police advice or something i don't know but it was frustrating after getting into the ground standing there for well over an hour um before it was, it was obviously called off to then be told, oh, you got to wait for 700 Cambridge fans to leave first before yeah. you can even get out of the gate was like incredibly frustrating. But again, it is what it is, I guess. It's a strategy that would have made a lot more sense if there weren't hundreds, if not thousands of Borough fans queuing outside that the Cambridge fans were released out into. Yeah. <laughs> you the, weren't the, keeping us apart. You were just keeping us apart from the lucky ones that got in. It was, uh, yeah. And it was, to be fair, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm sure there was things that happened outside that ground that I didn't see. But when we did get out and we did leave, everything was, was fine. There was, there was, yeah, it just felt it like massive, awkward. massively overkill from the, you know, probably 25 police cars that were, were down, um, broad away and, and along the, uh, what the roads called around the back of the away end. I can never remember yeah. what the roads called. Um, yeah, and and then you also had um, police helicopters going around, and it just felt a bit like you're kind of asking for trouble in a weird sense. Yeah. You kind of you kind of saying, "Well, yeah, we're all here to deal with it because it's going to happen." When when the reality was, I don't think it ever really was. And maybe I'm, I'm, I didn't see everything that happened that night. I'm sure there was a minority of people who may have got involved in in something, but. It felt, yeah, it felt really strange. It felt like it was, uh, I've not, not seen that much police presence uh, at a Stevenage game for many, many years. I don't think there was that much police presence when we played Luton in the in the conference back in the day when they had half the East Terrace. Mm. Um, it was, yeah, just a really, really strange evening. And 
obviously a complete waste of time in the end, which wasn't yeah. ideal as a fan, but it is what it is. As I say, we'll, we'll play the game again when, whenever that is uh, penciled in for. But um, Cram it yeah, in on think, a Tuesday night think, at some point. don't think we're going to be getting six and a half, seven thousand plus in, in the Lamex for, uh, for, the, for the replay. Yeah, God, it would have been a good atmosphere as well. It's a real shame for those Cambridge fans who had to trudge all the way down and all the way back for nothing. At least they only had to walk home half an hour. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's move on from that and go into the hotly awaited game against Portsmouth. So, so we touched on this a little bit in the last episode. Um, Portsmouth coming off a couple of away trips over Christmas, but still riding high at the top of the division. It's obviously going to be a stiff test for us going away to one of the bigger sides in the division who've also got a you know fairly decent form and a strong squad. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a difficult start to the game for Stevenage. Portsmouth took the lead in the first quarter of an hour and it's a disappointing one to see them concede, I think, because it was from basically our own defensive throw-in from Dan Butler, threw it up the touchline, fairly long and steepling, but not out of our half. And it was one with a... F- sort of semi-contested header, but not a difficult header for the Portsmouth player to inflict it inside. Sweeney miscontrolled, uh, don't know whether he's trying to play it in front of himself or clear it or what, but he just kind of scuffed it on to a Portsmouth player and three of them passed it between themselves nicely to create the shooting angle where our defence scrambled. So adversity early doors. They've battled back from it nicely. Louis Thompson equalised from a long ball out from Tay. And they did the same thing they were doing against Northampton, where they didn't really compete for that first ball. They um, competed to make it difficult for the guy to head it clear anywhere safe. And that worked, heading it straight down to List, who played uh, Luther and Reed down the right-hand side and crossed it in for Louis Thompson to time his run really nicely and win a brave header into the corner of the goal. But the rest of that half felt like Portsmouth on top and forcing the majority of the difficult chances and they scored again around the half-hour mark from a kind of short throw in the left-hand corner, which we didn't really deal with. There was a couple of Portsmouth players there. A third moseys to the edge of the left edge of the penalty area. Burns reacted to that too late, so they worked it to him really easily. He passed it in and Bishop did the least amount of movement I've ever seen from a striker to score a goal. It was just like there was a yard between Sweeney and Pidge and he moved like a quarter of a yard to get into that space and then just tapped it home. I don't... Poor positioning and reaction to the pass from Sweeney maybe, but it was not defending that anyone will be happy with watching that set piece back. Um, So, yes, got in at half-time probably very disappointed with the uh, the outcome and um, there's a lot of grumbling from uh, Stevenish fans as you would expect uh, after that performance how did you see the first half yeah I mean I was quite, I was grateful to only be 2-1 down at half time not because I thought Portsmouth had created loads of chances necessarily I just thought we played so so poorly that um uh, against a, a decent opposition, it, it could have been a lot. It could have been a lot worse for us, um, which is on the contrary for the second half, really. But it said it said everything when you just look. Three changes made at the break. Yeah. Um, Sweeney, uh, I've been really critical of <clears throat> for for some time. I think the first half of last season he was immense. I mean that back five was was absolutely incredible. The first half of last season, he kind of fell off a cliff in the second half of. of uh, of last season, and and I don't think he's he's recovered necessarily from that. Uh, he's for me is fifth fifth choice centre half in this team right now. I I, yep. I don't see him. If you're going to play a back four and you're going to have Pigeon there as your number one, yeah, TVC is the obvious one. There's definitely something going on there. Yeah, I'd even have you know Finley Burns ahead of him. Um, I really would, and and but they've persisted with him in, in recent weeks. There's a few times he's been caught in possession. He was caught in possession for the first goal. The second goal, he just didn't react. Uh, I don't think any of the any of the backline reacted well enough, but Sweeney in particular could have cut that cross out. Um, he made it way too easy for Bishop. And if you give Bishop opportunities in this league, um, you know he will put him in the back of the net, and that's exactly what he did. But the first half was as poor as the first half was. The second half, I thought, was excellent. Um, I thought we were... 
by I wouldn't say by far the better team necessarily, but I thought we were. We certainly edged the second half. But the, the problem we had is the chances we did create, we didn't put them away. Uh, you think of um, Jamie Reed. I think it was one more or less one on one. Yeah. Um, you know he's got he's got to put that in the back of the net. Um, and you're not going to go to Portsmouth and create 15, 20 chances. You're going to have to take what you're given. And we didn't take what we were given. And I think Portsmouth probably just about deserved it. I think a draw, they probably wouldn't have been, I mean, they would have been disappointed with, I'm sure, but they wouldn't have uh, begrudged us a draw. Um, and then we had lunacy at the end of the game with Nathan Thompson decided <laughs> to try and kill a, kill a man, which was uh, an interesting tactic in the 96th minute of the game. Yeah, um, not really what you need when you're looking to replace a centre back. Your other centre back picking up his second red of the season, and uh, probably a I don't know how long the suspension is going to be from that. It's going to definitely be a game, maybe three. We it's, can definitely uh, we can definitely talk about. I mean, we've got to talk about the referee. So uh, decisions over the game. Uh, I mean, I've seen Rakespear many, many times referee in Stevenage games um, before Evans and with Evans as manager. And he's one of those referees who doesn't take any shit. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't appreciate when his fourth official is probably getting earache galore from from the sideline. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's be honest with you, like it's part of the game. You know, you're going to get it with a, a Rainer and Evans team. Um, and just some of the decisions that he made. I mean, not sending off Marlon Pack for a second yellow card for what was a pretty cynical trip when he was on a yellow. Um, he just bottled that decision 100%. The penalty, I've watched it back a fair few times. I think I can see case for both sides in terms of he's not... I, mean, I, don't, I think the question probably is you know, what is handball nowadays because I think if that's VAR, it's, it's probably given it. If it's, uh, I, I personally don't think it is. I don't think it's a stone wall that so many people seem to think it was, but... I think there's definitely an argument of why it could be given. And as I said, if we had VAR in the ground, they'd probably be given it, which for me gives me enough of a reason to say we should have had a penalty. For me, I, I'm, I'm much more of a deliberate handball type. And I think you know the shots hit at him, his arms down by his side. I don't think there's that much more that he can do. Um, it certainly wasn't deliberate in that regard, but if the letter of the law is it's hit his hand, then it's got to be given. But that refereeing performance was was poor, and I don't think it's again it's not bias. It's it's just an incapable referee of making making the right decisions. And I think the only decision he got right was probably sending off Nathan Thompson. Yeah, you can't argue with that one at all. Um, so yeah, we we started the game with the same lineup we had against Northampton, but. The test away at Portsmouth was always going to be a lot steeper than home against Northampton, and it just felt like they couldn't establish the same sort of attacking flow in the first half like they had against Northampton, which, particularly given the extra rest they had, will be disappointing. Not being able to um, exploit the flanks as well as they did and get those midfielders pushing on. The halftime substitutions, Finley Burns came off for Ben Thompson, Nathan Thompson came in for Dan Sweeney, and... Listy came off for Stokaski. Um And yeah, you're right. We definitely saw that second half. Um, Stevenage created more chances to equalise than I felt Portsmouth did to extend their lead. So I think you're right that a draw would have been a reasonably fair result. Um, but Portsmouth held on and fair play to them for that. They're a strong, stubborn outfit and they're... Uh, you know that's all to the benefit of them picking up those points at home. The penalty you can see, shout. You can see, you can see what. Well, sorry, Pat. You can see why they're up where they are. Oh, they've absolutely. Got, they've got players at this level who you know who can manage games. We talked about Marlon Pack earlier. Probably should have been sent off, but that's a guy who's played championship most of his career. Joe Morrell's a Welsh international. You know, there's, there's guys there that are very well rehearsed at this level of the game. How they'll do with that squad in the championship, I think, will be a completely different kettle of fish. But for League One, you can see why they where they are. Um, they they controlled the game pretty well, but you know they they gave us quite a bit of respect. I mean, things like time wasting, I see as a as a respect thing because like and, and Will Norris towards the end of that game, I think he got booked in the end for time wasting. But yeah. you know, he was taking age over goal kicks. You know, if you're at home, even if it is two one. You know, you're worried about what's in front of you if you're if you're wasting time if you're a top of the league team like Portsmouth. So I think that's a that's a kind of a credit to us. But 
yeah, obviously it doesn't really matter if you're not getting the point at the end of the day. Yeah, it's an indicator of how much better the second half performance was that they felt the need to do that. And it's how professional teams see out wins at the end of the day, isn't it? You do what you need to do to uh, preserve what you've got. And you're right, the, the desperation challenge from Nathan Thompson just was symptomatic of how the team were throwing everything forwards. It was right on the edge of the Portsmouth box from a mm. throw-in that got kind of half cleared up in the air and he just raised his foot to try and bring it down on the turn and didn't see the guy coming in from the other angle. So I don't think it was like nasty and trying to hurt anyone, but it was a dangerous place to raise your foot. And, you know, I, I don't have any qualms about the red card. The penalty, I think, uh, seen them given more often than I haven't seen them given a from that sort of incident in recent times. Um, but you're right, it's not 100% a stonewaller from the um, first look. And they always look worse as you rewatch them and slow them down. And you're like, oh, has he moved yeah. his hand towards it? Well, if you slow it down, it might look like he has. But reaction speeds, you know, on a slow motion yeah. replay, you don't get a proper impression of what true reaction speeds are. So it would have been nice to get it. It would have been nice to equalised from it and get the point that we sort of deserved but we didn't and we move on I kind of feel like I felt after the Barnsley performance that it was a creditable away performance against a good you know well financed well um, built squad in a division in which we're a smaller side and if you can run those teams close away from home and do yourself proud that's not a terrible loss even though you're disappointed not to be coming away with any points (laughs) Yeah, we lost the, the game in the first half. I mean, yeah. the first half performance was so far below where it needed to be and you don't want to be chasing chasing an away game against anyone really, but certainly not against Portsmouth because um, it's just not the right the right place to be. One thing I will give credit to is, or one player I'll give credit to is, I think Nick Freeman's second half was excellent, moving him mm. sort of out to that right wing back position. I've been really critical of him in terms of his role in the team and, and how much he actually offers. I kind of feel like he's anonymous most of the time, but um, I thought he, he, he cap- was really capable on that right hand side and, and we kind of needed to make that tactical change and, and that worked well, but Elliot List, first half performance, I mean, I genuinely, when when they said at half time that he was coming off, I completely forgot he was even on the pitch. It just didn't feel <laughs> like he was he was even able to get any kind of foothold in in the game, and um, which is frustrating after we, what we saw against Northampton, where we all thought Listy's back. And um, but yeah, it was a frustrating performance from him. And forty five minutes would be interesting to see what what we do this weekend coming up with uh, whether he starts again or whether they they just chop and change it up again. It feels like a good opportunity to get him some more minutes, doesn't it? Um, so you mentioned the referee. Um, Steve and Dean on the radio were very strong on criticising his performance and really kind of intimating that he wasn't refereeing the game the same between the two sides. He was harsher on Stevenage fouls and harsher on Stevenage yellow cards throughout the game they, they were describing and just disappointed that the kind of big team at home mentality seems to be swaying decisions away from yeah. 50-50s, um, which mm-hmm. didn't do us any favours. Did you feel that from watching it or was that um, a perception you don't share? Um, to an extent, yeah. I don't. I, I, I think Evan said it in his post-match that you know he doesn't think he was he was that he was biased necessarily he just thinks he's rubbish and and I can't I can't really disagree with that to I think I think he's just a bad referee and I do think there was a there's partly down to you know a referee goes into a ground like Fratton Park of 18,000 Portsmouth fans shouting every single decision you know they're going to get decisions that those 50-50s always go in their favor whether that's right or whether that's wrong um I I didn't I do see Steam Dean's point in that regard. I do. I don't disagree with that point, but I, I do just think he's a really bad referee. I just don't. Every <laughs> time I've seen him, I think he's been awful. And um, there's both games against Portsmouth this year. We've had officials that have been absolutely dreadful. One was cheered off the pitch when he got injured, and and the second one um, got cheered off the pitch because he did him a huge favour. So uh, no, I think he's one of those. I say I've seen him many times before. We'll see him many times again. I'm sure. Um, it's always going to be a, an interesting uh, 
especially with the comments that Evans has made now, it'll be interesting to see the next time he comes up uh, referee yeah. in one of our games and who that ends up being against and and what he does because he's one of those. He's just one of those referees. He he wants to almost not necessarily just control the game. He wants to you know everyone to know that he's he's the man if you like you know he's he's almost making decisions just to to show that he's the one in control and um you know the sending off of Rayner um you know some of the decisions that he made the way that he just refereed it for me I'd, it's it's not the sort of referee that I'd I'd want to see the way you want to see it with referees if you if you barely notice that they're there they've done yeah, a great yeah. job and with him it's you just know you know he's there the game this game's all about him um, there's way too many like that in this uh, in this country unfortunately and it's horrible when that pretty much foreboding comes to pass that you have about refs. But you know it beforehand. You know what their reputation is, just like they know what your reputation is. So I think you're right that what you have to do is play to your highest standards, take your chances and take the referee out of the equation. And we've seen that when we don't do that, you can get punished for it. And, you know, that's partly what happened in this one but not entirely I said it, I said it two... he didn't make us defend that badly from two set pieces that's for sure. no exactly yeah you, you can't put it all on, on on him for sure but you know the penalty shout is is a massive moment in the game and if we get that penalty and we end up scoring it um, you know that game could completely turn on its head I can't remember what minute that was but you know there was definitely time then to maybe kick on and and the ascendancy would have been with us so it is a massive moment, whether you think it is or think it isn't. Um, he was never going to give it. I no. just didn't, was never for a second thought that, that, that he would be be given that. And um, he, yeah, it was just one of those one of those things. But yeah, refer, referee. I mean, I said it on I think on our WhatsApp chat at two minutes past three. As soon as I saw who was refereeing the game, I thought you just knew it was going to be one of those days, and you were kind of just waiting for for decisions to go to go against us and um, yeah, obviously it did turn out to be probably one of his even worse that he's had against us to be honest with you just little decisions not even the penalties what frustrated me is those 50-50 calls that you're referring to and not sending off Marlon Pack and that he massively bottled that I don't care what anyone says um, there was opportunities there that you know he was giving yellow cards for I think Roberts got booked for a for a foul that was just one of those ones, the ball's about to sort of running out to the side of the pitch and the guy clears it away and Robert sort of cuts across the front of him and, and he books him for what was really next to nothing. Mm. Um, and as soon as Roberts gets booked, he loses that, that emphasis in his game where, you know, he can't be the Jordan Roberts that where you get the best out of him. And yeah, we've seen that many times. Yeah. And he can't do that. So it's, uh, it kind of takes away what's great about Jordan Roberts and ended up, you know, I can't remember what minute it was. He was subbed in the end, but what we saw from him ultimately was was not a great deal afterwards. Indeed. All right, so let's take a look at what that does to the table then. Portsmouth stay top, 53 points in 25 games. Bolton could pass them. They've got 51 from 24, so their game in hand is pretty key there. Peterborough, third, 49 points from 25 games. Derby have 46 and 24. Oxford United also on 46 from 25 games. Barnsley now ahead of us on goal difference in the final playoff spot with 43 points and 24 games. We have 43 points and 25 games in seventh. And then there's Blackpool, four points behind us, 39 points and 26 games. Not often we have a game in hand on people this season. That's what a power cook can do for you. And then behind them, Northampton, 36 points from 25 games. It shows how good of a win that was for us against uh, the Northampton side in the top 10. So, yeah, um, some defensive things to fix for us, but some positives to build off in the second half as well. So they'll be looking to do that in the game upcoming against Maidstone. Um, FA Cup, third round, great chance to advance and get a juicy fourth round money-spinning tie. And uh, Maidstone will probably fancy their chances, having beaten us the last time we faced them back in, when was that, 2014, 2-1, away in the replay, having drawn nil-nil at home. Um, it was the season just after we got relegated from League One the first time. So it was a, a fairly ropey-looking team. Some old guards, Ronnie Henry, Darius Charles, and then midfield, Chris Welpdale, Simon Walton, David McAllister, Rory Deacon, and off the bench, 
Charlie Adams and Jack Jeb. And when you read that, you think, oh, it's no wonder we struggled on that day. Charlie Lee and Lee <laughs> Barnard up front. That's not exactly gold machines, although I love Charlie Lee. So, yeah, not happy memories of travelling to uh, Maidstone and their 4G pitch. And it'll be interesting to see how it goes this time around. They're riding pretty high fourth place in the uh, National League South, having been relegated rock bottom last season. Under fairly new management, under George Ellicobi, took over last January, so we're right on his anniversary. And he does seem to have turned them round from a side that only managed 25 points in the whole of last season, already on 43. Um, so decent form coming into this one. Um, beat Tunbridge at home in their previous match, drew at Tunbridge away the match before that, and then they lost to Mark Salins, Chippenham Town at home on the 23rd of December, humped by Maidstone, sorry, humped by Worthing away the game before that, and then humped by Barnet in the FA Trophy um, fourth round back at the start of December. So fairly mixed but uh, not terrible, and you know, winning becomes a habit, isn't it? So when you're riding towards the top end of a division, that can help you through some of the more difficult games. I was having a quick browse through their squad list, uh, trying to spot players whose names I recognised. Gavin Hoyt, former Arsenal and various clubs on loan before he dropped down and out of the league to Dagenham and Redbridge, is uh, hanging around the place. Paul Apaya. Uh, I think I came across him playing for Chelsea Youth in the Youth FA Cup and he's gone from there to Villa and Leicester Academies and he's currently on loan with them. Timmy Abraham, Tammy Abraham's brother's been with them for a while. Um, not played this season actually yet, so he's just on the squad list, but we might see him, I guess, in the Cup. He's on loan from Boreham Wood. Harry Kiprian, who's a familiar name from uh, his South End days, but he was with Southend for like six seasons and only featured a few times. So uh, I don't know, maybe he's got a brother I've uh, recognised the name from rather than him. 23 appearances at Southend United in five years, but maybe one of them was against us and maybe he left a mark somewhere in my brain. Definitely picked his name out of the lineup. So yeah, some interesting ones. It'll be interesting to see how this goes and what sort of strength of lineup Evans puts out there. What are you expecting? It's one of those ones. It's it's a great opportunity to to progress. It's a great opportunity to to get into the fourth round, and and obviously that brings not only good prize money for winning the game, but um, obviously the potential of a, a big big away tie like Villa last year. So all of that is um, is a huge opportunity, but it just feels like a, a massive banana skin as well. At the same time, for us, it's uh, it's one of those we've we've been in good form overall um but i think it's one of those games you know away from home it's going to be a you know, a tight little ground fans will be on top of you it's one of those ones where you know we should be in a in a good place to go and win the game um i look back at like the kings lynn game last year was another a really good example of you know it was the biggest game of their season a packed out crowd in in and you know, even though we started the game relatively slowly in the first half, second half, we just blew them away. And um, I'm fully expecting and hoping that we can go and do the same thing. But at the same time, you just never know in the FA Cup. You don't want to be on the wrong end of an upset. Um feels weird to be in the third round of the FA Cup and be the ones talked about being upset. But, Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I think it just it does depend slightly on, on the team that's put out. We've had a five-day break from from the Portsmouth game and obviously with the Cambridge game not happening there's uh, a little bit of extra rest there so I'm not expecting loads of changes um, and as we'll talk about in a minute with the three low knees going back I think the squad's a little bit more bare than it probably was last week as well so yes. I'm fully expecting it to be a pretty much first choice team um, and then yeah hopefully come away with a, a nice easy 2-0 victory or something uh, as stress-free as possible would be nice. Yeah, we're almost back down to that position we were in at times last season where we've got 18 fit players available and not much drop-off between the bench and the first team. So you can't weaken your side that much, you just physically can't. And uh, you raise a good point about the games last year. So we had Gateshead, who are currently fifth in the National League, um, struggled past them to an extent, but got the job done in the end. Had an easier time of it against Kingsley, who were um, 
struggling in the National League North this season. So it feels like this squad's got a better mentality for getting games over the line. And that those pair of games against Maidstone last time were a team that had just finished rock bottom of League One. It was only November, so they'd not that long pick themselves up out of that depression to um, you know, start building into the new season. And though we finished sixth that season, it took a long time to really dig ourselves out of the mire that we were in. And it was only a bit of Graham Wesley magic getting uh, team performances much better than the sum of their parts out of a not brilliant looking squad that season that saw us picking up those points towards the second half of the year so perhaps not a surprise that we struggled against them that year um, yeah I think it's, it's it's going to be a completely different game to what it was then um, I think you know you're going to have a, a pretty relatively confident Steamish team going into that into that game and um, that's not what we had as you as you said in, in when we played them several years ago and also that you know there'll be a completely different side as well I think they've had a, a bit a bit up and down on, on their side so it's going to be a, a very, very different game. Um, it's frustrating that the uh, all the televised FA Cup games are really boring Premier League, <laughs> yes. all Premier League or Premier League Championship ties or uh, there isn't, you know, the magic of the cup is definitely dead in that regard. But um, yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm more interested to see what the lineup will be, whether he will try and r- bring some changes in. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if we had had someone like a Forster Kasky starting He's been out of uh, out of the starting eleven for a few games. It's the sort of game I can see him coming in just to can try and control the midfield a bit better. Um, maybe go back to to five at the back, or that will be very much dependent on who's available. I guess yes. if, if Thompson's suspended, etc. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I'm not expecting massive changes. I think we'll still have the core of the team will be very much starting and. Um, and then we'll have a 15-year-old kid on the bench. <laughs> yes, because uh, yeah, Hedgie and uh, the other lonely lads, Neil and McNeil, back to their parent clubs, having not picked up enough game time, presumably over the first half of the season, and you can kind of understand that. Um, you're right as well. The uh, televised games, like the first two on the list, Palace, Everton, Brentford, Wolves, these are three o'clock Premier League kickoffs. We don't need them yeah. promoting just because they're in the cup. We should get some more... Interesting stuff going on. I think. Um, yes, uh, there was. It's a real frustration. I mean, I'm not saying our game should have been one of those games. By the way, um, I think there's there's probably better cases out there for it. But I think it was Tottenham Burnley was also televised. Yeah, the Palace game is. It's just all a bit very strange, really. I can't see why you'd think that's that's the game to go to. Um, even like, I mean, I know Wigan are a League One club now, but like Wigan Man United. I know Man United are televised basically if they're in the FA Cup they're going to be on TV it's pretty much a guarantee but it's like no one really wants to watch that it's like it's it's boring yeah yeah and it feels like an important game for those more I guess I want to say fringe when we haven't got that big a squad but you know what I mean the players who aren't established first 11 players because we've got the January window here and Evans has mentioned he wants to make some moves and you know if you're a player who's on the cusp of getting ousted from that eight team, it's a chance to make your mark and prove your worth and show that he doesn't need to try and upgrade you. He can maybe fill in behind you, but you know, it's a chance to stamp your mark for that. And, you know, you probably should have done that before now the season, but some people have, you know, like niggling injuries and personal stuff behind the scenes. That means you can't, and, you need those chances. You can't waste those chances. So it will it will even, be an important game for players like that. Even I, mean, I think I might be wrong when I say this, but I'm pretty sure you get like nine substitutes on the bench. So even you know you look at someone like Reese Hannum, who I'm pretty sure is still around. He still exists. Yeah. Um, like someone like him being on that bench, that if an opportunity comes knocking, if I don't know Dan Butler picks up a knock and he needs to come on and play. You know, it's, it's an opportunity at the end of the day, and, and for a guy who's, I think the last time I saw him was Orient, probably played in one of the Pizza Cup games that no one cares about. But you know, it is an opportunity for those more fringe players. I, I think the biggest yeah. problem we've got now is we don't have as many of those fringe players. The squad's starting <laughs> to look quite quite bare in that regard. Three players leaving uh, in the space of a day, even if they weren't getting much game time, is uh, 
a bit of a kick in the teeth for uh, competition. But, yeah, it um, doesn't leave you much room for suspensions and injuries, and uh, who knows what else is going on. We mentioned Van Kooten earlier, who's missed the last two games, not in the 18. And there's various rumours around that, niggling injury, is he like a sale already finalised and we're just making sure he doesn't get hurt to put that in jeopardy? Did he miss a team meeting or the team bus and get ousted for that sort of reason? And you hope it's not that because that's really shooting yourself in the foot when you have um, defenders underperforming that are in the starting eleven. So, yeah, I don't know what to think about that. I'm just got fingers crossed that he doesn't end up leaving in the window. Well, yeah, and and I don't know. Obviously, I've got no insider information, but it feels very strange for it to be anything other than that, in my view. Um, I'm not sure when his contract's up. I'm not sure if it's the end of this year or end of next. If it is end of this year, this is an opportunity to, you know, if someone comes along with a decent chunk of change and say, you know, here you go, we want, we want Terence Van Coot and you can go and make some money out of it. Maybe he said he's not going to sign another contract and you've been left in a position where it's either sell him now, get what you can for him or keep him until the end of the year and see him off on a free. It's it's, it's hard to say, but we could be, it, it could be none of those things. We really, obviously none of us really know what's, what's going on there. Um, I'd like to think, there could be if it's a case of you know he has been late to team meetings and that's not the first time then you know obviously Evans has got to put his foot down at some point the attitude's got to be right and Terence doesn't strike me as a guy with the the wrong attitude so but again we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors so for me I'd be more more surprised if it was a yeah he's been punished for something he's done rather than a someone is, has come in with a decent amount of money. I mean, I can just see Darren McAntony getting writing a cheque as we speak. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if that was the what was happening there. But like you said, when Dan Sweeney's not playing well and Nathan Thompson's now suspended, you're um you know, you're pretty much down to Sweeney and Pidge being the only two centre halves apart from maybe Finley Burns who can step in there. There's not anyone else really who can who can play in that role. Yeah. So apparently Van Kooten signed a two-year extension June 23. So we got until June 25. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to see him go unless it was for a decent wedge because he's an important first-team player and we're in a good position in the league and a good position financially where we don't need to let players go unless it's for, you know, a a price that's... um, Well, it could be clauses in contracts. It yeah. could be clauses in contracts for that as well. You know, it all might have triggered a release clause or something. You, you never really know what's going on. I think I'd just I'd rather see him out there playing, even if the the aim is to eventually sell him, uh, or or the aim is or, you know, it's been taken out of their hands a little bit with a release clause. You know, I'd still have him out there playing. I think he's too important to the squad to not have contributing towards it, especially when, like you say not all of our centre-halves are playing at the highest level at the moment. So, you know, we need someone like TVC to come in and uh, and and make sure that we're as solid as the back as we can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no no, uh, no angst towards him if he does move on. Good luck to him and all the best for the rest of his career. But from a selfish point of view, I hope he doesn't because <laughs> I love watching him play. It'd be a real disappointment not to be seeing that on the regular. Ah, so... Um, the only other thing, I guess, is who do we want to see in or what positions do we want to see addressed? We look thin at both fullbacks. We haven't seen Kane Smith for ages. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. Um, so that's a position they'll be probably looking to bolster. You're always looking to bolster strikers, but in the January window, that's really hard because everyone's always looking to bolster strikers. <laughs> um, and obviously now we've got just Tay and the youth team lad in goalkeeping wise, so I guess they'll be looking for um a backup goalkeeper as well, ideally. Any other places you think they'll be looking to strengthen? Uh it's, it's a good question. I think I'd imagine you'd want to add another body in midfield. Obviously Harrison Neil moving on. Uh, I'd imagine you'd want a replacement for that. Definitely goalkeeper. And I think goalkeeper's a really tough position to go and get someone decent um, who can compete with Ashby Hammond rather than someone who's just going to, when you look at last year, some of the, the, the guys that we, we picked up to sort of be second choice behind the one of many low knees that we had. Um, 
clearly weren't really good enough to, to play at League Two level. I, I definitely would want to make sure we, you know, we've got someone coming in. And it wouldn't surprise me if it'd end up being a loan for that. Although I can't imagine many Premier League or Championship teams who have young keepers, um, you know, them ended up coming and sitting, sitting on the bench. I mean, that's why Hedgie's gone back. Um, you can sit on the bench at home. We don't need to send you to Stevenage for that. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Presley. I think I was I was in the early part of the season. I thought he'd be be a really key player for us. I didn't think he was going to score loads and loads of goals, but I thought he'd be a good foil for you know if you want to go a bit more direct, he'll hold the ball up well. And and he's barely getting a sniff. He's obviously had a few injury problems, and and now you know apart from a few minutes at the end of games, he's not really playing a lot. I can definitely see him looking to force some kind of loan move to get some game time because I can't remember the last time he played more than a five, ten minute cameo, um, maybe in a cup game, but realistically, you know, he needs more minutes. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see, but I, I, I wouldn't expect any more than probably replacing what we've lost. So definitely a subkeeper, probably a midfielder, maybe a striker. Um, and then, but I think at full back, I mean, Reese Hannum, if he does move on, maybe a replacement there. So we've got someone at left back, but I'm not expecting too many, too many more signings. To be honest with you, unless we go on a, a nice little cup run and money gets freed up in January <laughs> to to go and uh, to splurge out a bit more. It must be a difficult balance to strike, keeping a squad that's like big enough to survive the rigors of a league season, but not so big that you just don't have enough minutes to go around. And players like Presley aren't able to develop because he's been brought in as a really promising looking striker and if you then waste him for with like you know two minutes every other game at the end of a game it's like a sub to waste a bit of time and he'll get like two touches it doesn't help his career develop so you've got to strike that balance somehow it's a an interesting juggling act I think it's a, even more of a juggling act in, and I think Evan said this last year and I can't remember when it was but he was talking about um, the kind of struggle in January last year of getting not necessarily just the right players, but also the right characters. Because you have to be, I think, the right character to play in this team. And, and you have to be the right character to play under Evans. I think that's why he splits opinions so much. Yeah. So you've, uh, you know, a lot of people probably dislike the way that, that he manages, but there's a lot of people who benefit from it and, and enjoy the way that he manages. And you have to be the right person and the right kind of character to, to, be, to be in that squad. Because if you're not the right character in that squad, you're you're probably going to end up being not only not playing, but probably barely even involved in in training um, or or anything for that matter. So it'd be interesting to see what direction they move into. The K. Smith situation is a really strange one. Um, since he's picked up that injury earlier this year, he seems to have just disappeared off the space of the earth. Um, so Luther and Butler are having to play pretty much every minute which mm. um, I don't see being a benefit you know either of those two pick up injuries you are definitely going to be struggling no one wants to see with respect as much as I praised him for his performance on uh, on Friday um, or whenever it was we played Portsmouth um, yeah no one no one wants to see him uh, no one wants to see him playing right back Nick Freeman playing right back for, for a second half of the season if Luther gets injured so hopefully they get that one sorted out or at least replace Kane Smith if he is to move on because it seems a really strange one it does I mean it, it feels like an okay thing as a kind of makeshift see out a game strategy but it doesn't feel like a over the course of 10 games we're going to be able to maintain a playoff push that sort of thing if you lose Luther and you have to put Freeman in there it gives you a an area that teams can exploit and they're going to jump on that fairly quickly, you would have thought. But uh, let's hope we get, come we get, to that. We'll see what the window brings us. Yeah, I think it's important this window as well. If we do want to be pushing up the league, I think we have to nail this January window. We have to get the right bodies in, the right players in, people who can actually um, you know, push those starters and, 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 and force their way into that eleven. Because I, I think if we go into the rest of the season with the squad we have now, with maybe two or three additions who are no way near good enough, this could easily end up flittering out to a 10th, 11th, 12th place finish in the league. Um, and whilst I would have snatched a hand off for that in August, absolutely, uh, <laughs> where, where we are now and where we've been over the last several weeks, you know, you, you'd probably see that as a slight disappointment um, because, you know, we at times this year have looked 
you know, not only not only at the right level, but we've we've looked like a team that could easily go on and go back to back, which um, I wouldn't rule out. But at the same time, I I think we need to get the right bodies in. Otherwise, we'll, that strength and depth of the teams like Portsmouth have and Bolton have, and and they will go and spend in in January as well. Those teams, Oxford will do the same, I'm sure. Yeah, you know we have to try and compete with that, and that's tough for a small club like us. Yeah, I, I'm relatively optimistic because they seem, for the most part, to have recruited the right sorts of mentality. We've had a a higher hit rate than it feels like we have in recent past under the current um, recruitment group. So, yeah, bodes well. Keep positive. And, uh... I, don't think, I don't think last January was great. If you look at the, the recruitment last January, there was a, a, I think from a personnel perspective, I'm sure character-wise it wasn't too bad. But if you, it was only really Forster Kasky that was probably the early signing that, that was made in January that worked well. Yeah, fair. Um, I think Josh March wasn't, Great, the loanies we did. I mean, a lot of them you barely even saw. I mean, Josh Reed, remember him? Josh Reed, jeez, the guy who brought his dog to to when he signed, and then I we mean, literally never saw him again. <laughs> um, you know, there's 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 guys like that who Daryl Horgan. As much he got, he got quite a bit of game time, but I don't think it was ever the ever the level that we need him to be. But I think he probably was the right character. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting how we. Uh, I think we do have to get January right. I think there's enough gaps in the squad. Whereas I think last year, I don't know if there was as many gaps. I think there's probably more of a, you know, in January, it would just need to add a bit, a few bodies to help us. So get over the line. This time I do think there's a few more gaps that need to be filled. And yeah, I think Leon and Steve have got a big task at hand to get that right. It feels like Steve revels in the wheeler dealing side of it though. So uh He'll have fun, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, shout out to the folks who made it to uh, Portsmouth. They made a good noise, uh, did us proud in the background, and good luck to everyone travelling to Maston. I hope you have a good day out. Um, thanks for listening to us, and uh, thanks to Greg for joining me today. It's been a fun uh, hour or so chatting this through. Look forward to catching you all on the next one. Till then, up the borough. Woo! I wouldn't if you do it. <laughs> what do you reckon the player's favourite McDonald's is? Sweeney screams fillet of fish to me. I can see that. I reckon TVC loves a McFlurry because they're smooth as silk like his first touch. Do you reckon Macca loves a Macca's? I mean, obviously. Just look at his cheeky face. And Revs definitely takes down a McNugget's share box on his bill. You want to watch what you say about our team's nutritionist? Order McDelivery now from the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.